Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman. I am so excited to be sitting across from my friend, Kevin Nguyen, who has a new novel out. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a delight I'm a to big have fan you. of the pod. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think that's the first time I've ever heard that. Your bio says that you're the features editor at The Verge, which is true. And you were previously a senior editor at GQ. And that you live in B- Brooklyn. I know that's true. <laughs> no lies detected. No lies. You leave a little bit out about your bio in your bio. That's true. I uh, well, it's because I'm on my like seventh job in a decade, so <laughs> <laughs> it just starts to look very suspicious after a while. But um, yeah, before I was in journalism, um, I was in tech. You have some particular insights to lend towards this book, New Waves, that takes place at you know in in the tech world, at a tech company. On yeah, the I, don't internet. If, I don't know how insightful I am. I just feel like I've like suffered enough through those jobs, uh, some of which I liked, some of which I didn't, yeah. uh, enough to to form kind of like a world for for a book. Yeah, uh, tell me more about the world. I we we've talked about um, how you are describing the book and talking about the book, and so now I want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you're asking me this because you know that I'm still not great at talking about what the book's about. But uh, the world is is. Uh, the book takes place in like 2009, 2010, 2011. Um, so it's a very specific time in tech. It's it's very much before tech has eaten everything. Yep. Um, I think startups are still in like a very specific phase then. Everyone is extremely well-meaning. Uh, <laughs> That's people, a good way to put it. Yeah, they're, I mean, they, they're well-intentioned and they're really scrappy and they're run by these 20-year-olds that they make big drastic decisions and don't understand that they have consequences for the people that use, you know, the services that they provide. Right. So, um, yeah. So the world of that is kind of, I didn't want to, you know, be really finger waggy at, at tech companies. Um, I think there's enough of that. Uh, I just wanted people to kind of understand and kind of empathize. Uh, you know, like these are just young kids who make selfish and bad decisions as, as any 20 year old would. So. Right. Except they have the keys to the car. The exactly. Version. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so tell me about Lucas and how he fits into all of that. Yeah, so the the main or the central point of view character is this. Uh, he's half Vietnamese, half Chinese kid named uh, Lucas. He's probably like twenty two. Um, you know, uh, it was interesting because he's kind of like a schlub. Like he's not particularly <laughs> right. smart or funny, um, and he's actually not like very ambitious. And uh, yeah. I'm not, I didn't really quite set out to do this, but there just isn't a lot of representation of Asian men in, in literature or film or anything where the Asian guy is just like kind of just a dud. A yeah, just a dud person. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, like Asian people are just like anyone else. Like, we got duds, you know? So I put him <laughs> at the center of this book. Sure. Yeah. And I, I love, I mean, one of my favorite genres is and something that you do, is um, reading the narrative of someone who doesn't realize that he's unreliable. Yeah, that's true. Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, so the novel takes place in New York. um, And, you know, uh, on top of him being like a dumb 27-year-old with no ambitions, like he also just like drinks a lot and (laughs) makes bad decisions um, through that. And then just even when he's sober, he makes pretty bad and selfish decisions. (laughs) And um, I don't know. I can't tell. He's kind of like... It really depends on uh, who's read the book, but some people find, I know like likability isn't a meaningful thing, but some people like really relate to Lucas and I'm just like, that's a problem. (laughs) (laughs) 
or they assume that I am the main character, which I, like just happens to every author, right? And uh, it does. I mean, more so to women, but I, 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 I wonder if that he is half Vietnamese yeah. is really like <laughs> I know I made him I'm that... full Vietnamese and I'm just like guys come on he's he's half Chinese he's definitely not me um and I like made him like kind of chubby I'm like a very skinny person a very tiny human um so but, many differences yeah and it's just funny when people are just like oh you're just like the main character and I was like I would never make these terrible decisions <laughs> and and so tell me about his best friend Margot yeah, so his best friend Margot. So uh, Lucas works with his friend Margot at a at a startup, um, and they end up working at a couple startups together. But uh, so Lucas is this Asian American um, schlub. Uh, he's like not an engineer at the tech company, so like no one gives you know a shit about him. He does CS, yes. Yeah, he does customer service. Um, and then so his best friend there, uh, Margot, um, she's a black woman and she's an engineer, so she's also on the outside of a lot of things at work and. Uh, they just sort of relate. I kind of wanted the beginning of the book to be about, um, you know, like everyone has like that work buddy and yeah. like you go drinking with them and you just complain endlessly about work and it's like this nice release of a pressure valve. And then I just kind of wanted to like run at that a little bit and see there are things about that relationship that are like kind of toxic, right? Um, and, and kind of not helpful. Uh, yeah. And so like, you know, Lucas, by virtue of being an Asian man, um, he's in CS and then and Margot by virtue of being a black woman who's an engineer, like they relate to each other, but they also kind of don't understand each other's problems. And they kind of talk past each other a bunch. And, and they uh, egg each other on. And they definitely egg each other on. Yeah. Uh, Lucas is very impressionable. So, <laughs> and, and she, if if Lucas seem, is schlubby, then she is so multifaceted. Yeah, yeah. No, she's like, She's like really cool, you know. She's, cool. she's, <laughs> she's like cool. smart. Um, you know, she's she speaks her mind. Um, yeah, and uh, she just doesn't really take anyone's bullshit. And Lucas is like all about absorbing bullshit all day long, so, which is kind <laughs> of his job, right? So. Right. Yeah, it sure is. Tell me about developing Margot as a character. Spoiler alert: not very much of a spoiler alert. <laughs> after she dies. Yeah, yeah. This happens pretty early on in the book. <laughs> yeah. um, I think it's in the copy for the book. Right? Yeah, so it's, yeah. we're not really. Um, yeah, so I, I originally set out to to write a novel that was about grief. Um, like I lost a friend really early on um, in my 20s. Um, so it's informed a lot by that experience. Um, and, you know, actually the thing about the book like what it has to say about grief in broad strokes is is pretty obvious. Like uh, you can do whatever you want to try and like get over your grief, uh, but it just takes time and space. Yeah. Um, so that's a spoiler for the whole arc of the book. And for life. And for life. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've spoiled life uh, on the mayor's review. Um, yeah. And then, uh, but yeah, I actually like had this idea where um, – you know, like you usually learn about a character in a book through, uh, you know, dialogue, what they do, uh, what they say. I thought it'd be like a really interesting challenge to understand a character by what they make. Yeah. Um, so Margot is like generative. Um, and, and later in the book, you find out that she uh, has been recording these science fiction stories. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, as audio, like right before she goes to bed and Lucas uncovers them and he just starts to learn so much about Margot um, 
in a way that he just like didn't understand before. Yeah. Um, and so even though, you know, Margot uh, dies early on in the book, you know, she's still very much alive as a character, um, kind of through the stuff that she's left behind. Um, so that was kind of like a like a narrative challenge that I found kind of interesting and wanted to explore. Yeah, so. tell me tell me more about, you know, cuz with, within the book there are um some of her some of her little sto- her little stories that just sounded <laughs> so short. That was what Yeah, they are was, short. They're yeah. they're short um real straight up sci-fi. Yeah, they so were like, um it was funny cuz uh I also like one of the other running themes in the book is like how you can sort of discover like uh, a thing you like on the internet, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so for Lucas and Margot, they both love city pop, which is like this. Uh, it's a very specific kind of Japanese music from the late seventies and eighties. Um, they also love bossa nova, you know. So um, they have like music taste. They discovered on the internet. Um, Margot is just also obsessed with sort of like sixties sci fi. Yeah. So I based a lot of the stories that she writes on um, the work of. Do you know Robert Sheckley? No. Um, he just wrote like. Tons and tons of short stories um, for, like, sci-fi magazines in, I believe, the 50s and 60s. And you can kind of imagine, like, what those stories are. They're, like, very Twilight zone mm-hmm. There's always a plot twist. Uh, I think they're super fun. They're not always very smart. Right, um, right, right. And they're really, like, cynical, you know. Uh, and, and I don't know. I just thought it'd be fun for, like, a character like Margot to express a lot of that, like, pent-up aggression or yeah. uh, or unhappiness or you know like all this thing like express it this way in a medium that was like fun for her and i just like the idea and then like the idea of someone coming from the outside and discovering them and not really understanding what they were yeah one of the things that i really appreciate about your book is that you do capture i mean yes it's very easy to complain about the internet <laughs> and tech but you capture so well what a really good internet community looks like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I mean, communities are kind of built out of, they always like devolve in a hierarchy yes. um, in, in ways that are like good or bad. So um, yeah, were you like, so uh, there's a internet forum in the book that I mm-hmm. fictionalized um, based on like old forums that I used to be on. Were you on like internet forums as a kid? It wasn't on internet forums, but like my thing was, I remember just loving e-music before I worked there, way long before I worked there, and meeting all of these people through the message boards. Yeah. Yeah. Like, message boards are, uh, I just miss the pace of them, you know? Yeah, same. I don't know. Like, the funny thing is, like, I'm sure there are message boards that still exist, and I think of them, like- It's called Reddit. Yeah, actually, that's right, right? Like, that's all (laughs) it is anymore. Yeah. and yeah, something about Reddit feels like too big. Yes. Um, yeah, even though you can find like your subreddit or something like that, just something about the global nature of Reddit. Um, I think you just lose something, you know, like these internet forums used to be run by like single, like they just people yeah. and like they had to form their community. Because they enjoyed it, not, yeah, not they, to scale up. Right, exactly. Not to scale up. Uh, you know, harassment wasn't the same it, we didn't have the same harassment problems as we did. Right. Um, or, you know, maybe I, I didn't experience them. Um, but I think we're just all more anonymous, right? Yes. Um, as another part of it. And yeah, I don't know. Is something about, do you use Reddit? No, not really. I don't either. And I, I just think it's, I think something about Reddit too is that each subreddit is like a really specific topic. It's so specific. And like, I think like what we really 
miss about forums is like they were built around like vibes. F- they were. They yeah. were places for vibes. Um, and I miss the idea that like you could feel very close to these really – you can't look up their Facebook profile and learn their real names and look yeah. at their families and look at their lives. You actually it's, only know them by like what they've posted. Yeah. You know? And that's a what a great way to be known. I mean, if you're posting good shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, uh, you know, like you just form friendships online based on that alone, right? Like back in the day, like, you know, I think we had more paranoia about using our real identities on the mm-hmm. internet. Um, and so, yeah, you would just have no idea, like, really where people lived or or what they looked like. What was your screen name? Um, God, that's embarrassing. Okay. Uh, no, no. I'll, uh, I remember, I think my first AOL screen name was Cyclops22. Sure. Um, and I think my forum name in middle school was uh, Sushi2020. I'm not sure why 2020. Because you knew this year would be just awesome. And yeah. When your book would come out. <laughs> that's um, funny. That that's really good. What was your first screen name? It was something like Maris rhymes with Paris. Oh, it really? wasn't like it wasn't like it wasn't like Andrew Lloyd Webber lover or something. <laughs> Bernadette. Oh, well, actually, yes, I did have a Bernadette lover. <laughs> Bernadette Peters. Anyhow. <laughs> Just putting out. I'm glad we're here to embarrass each other. Yeah, so good. (laughs) If you like podcasts like the Maris Review, then you'll love Kobo audiobooks. Listening to audiobooks let you fit more reading time into your life. Even when I'm stress eating or cleaning, I love to listen to an audiobook to get me out of my own head. There are two great ways to save. You can start an audiobook subscription and get your first book free. The book is yours to keep even if you cancel. And then every month afterwards, pay just $9.99 and you can choose an audiobook from the Kobo catalog regardless of the price. Some audiobooks can cost upwards of $35 or $40, so a Kobo subscription is the best way to save money every single month. Or two, you can use the code MARIS40 to get 40% off one of their select audiobooks curated by Kobo's audiobook experts. To get started, visit Kobo.com slash Maris Review. Start listening to Kobo audiobooks today. Once again, that's Kobo.com slash Maris Review. Do you think it's still possible to have that relationship with someone on the internet in that pure way now? That's a good question. Um, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I don't want to say it's impossible, but right. I can't think of like the social network that that encourages that or allows it. Um, you know, and I just like I don't see. I don't even see myself like going to a forum instead of like I don't know going to Twitter. Or, right. Or, um, right. Yeah. No. I, I think it it would be really hard, right? Like, and I don't know. And also to form a community, like you and I could want this thing, yeah. um, but we'd have to build that community. And I think it's just even harder to do that than ever. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I even think in the early days of Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Um, Tumblr's it, like the last gasp of it to me. Yeah, um, I think so. I think so. And and that's how I, finding book people there was yeah. really a thing. I mean, that's actually like, I mean, you did Slaughterhouse 90210 and like that was a vibe, 
right? <laughs> yes. More than I mean, like you have like clear interests in it, like it's it's book interest and then it's uh, pop culture interest, but it does like the average of that thing is like more of a vibe than a than like a mandate or something, right? Oh, I love that. <laughs> Putting out vibe. (laughs) (laughs) So so tell me a little bit, I mean, because one of the things that I think about a lot um, this season is that you were at Oyster for a little while. Yeah, yeah, the startup. uh, Yeah, yeah, the startup Oyster, uh, which uh, I think, you know, the shorthand of it was the Netflix for eBooks. Yes. I was there for a year. Yep. Um. And then, yeah, and then we kind of dissolved and got acquired by Google, so. And I, it just seems like that's kind of the the speed now that that it's just there are so few independent places anymore. To... Yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting, like, the wave of technology now is, like, every startup's best shot at, like, making it is now to be acquired by, like, a huge tech company. Right. Um, there are no n- new, you know... They call them unicorns, um, <laughs> and I actually think like all those companies are, are starting to fail as well. And, and I think that's true. Um, even like the ones that like IPO, um, they send they seem to not be doing great either. They and... don't have plans for how to make money. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine? They don't have that? business plans, really. You know the funniest thing about like how closely did you follow the WeWork stuff? Yes. The funniest thing about WeWork to me is like it's a really good business idea, right? Uh, and they just like. The hubris and excess of it is what made it a bad business model. But like, it's a thing that like people need, people need or like, well, will people will pay for, and yeah, and, um, yeah, and then that thing is totally imploding. <laughs> and and so I I love how um, the fake internet company that Lucas and Margot go to work for, and of course the founders have these really, really noble expectations <laughs> for this platform that they're building. Yeah. Uh, so the idea of Phantom was that it's like an ephemeral messaging app. Um, and I think this was kind of a popular thing in the like, 2014 or something. Like Snapchatty, except for... Yeah. And then the uh, the founder of it in the book, uh, Brandon, he, um, you know, he has this like lofty idea that like journalists will use it and whistleblowers will use it because of the ephemeral nature. Like, you know, uh, they won't get caught. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, none of that stuff materializes. Like, the company kind of takes off because teenagers are bullying each other on it. So. <laughs> and and I do think one of my favorite parts of, of the book is Lucas having to – defining what bullying is, <laughs> is – when I worked at Kickstarter, I had the, we had the same thing. Is this appropriate or is this not? Mm-hmm. It could go off in so many different philosophical areas. Yeah, you yeah. You could spend weeks just arguing about one thing. Yeah, and like, you know, startups aren't like hiring like a philosopher. There's no, no, there's, there's no cheating. There's at no the, cheating. <laughs> uh, <laughs> any, so it's just, uh, it's it's always like some 22-year-old or some, you know, at best 25-year-old who like has to define a set of policies that roll out across the company, and I don't know. I think like when you're 25, like you probably, or even when you're older even than when that. you, yeah, yeah. I think that, um, yeah. There's actually so a lot of the policies I have in the book. There's a section where um, Lucas is trying to define um, bullying uh, through what are called achievable threats of violence, um, <laughs> and I just ripped all of that information from like a leaked Facebook deck. Like it's all actual policies that Facebook set out. And there's a company that does have a lot of people thinking about this stuff, and they did 
the policies are still ridiculous. And it's getting worse and worse every day, it seems. <laughs> like, yeah. democracies are falling. And... I know. Well, Facebook's got a whole other set of problems now. Um, so now bullying seems like the smallest thing that Facebook can't control, right? I do think it's interesting, though, that we went from, in that era, thinking that bullying online was a real scary, upsetting thing to being kind of immune to it now. Yeah, no, it's true. And it's funny, you don't hear about that much anymore, but I'm sure it's still happening, right? I'm and, sure it's still happening. Um, but we just have so many other bad things I know, happening. right? I mean, it's a hard thing with bullying, too, because uh, it, it's real and it's a danger. You know, like, bullying kind of existed before Facebook existed, right? Just like bullying just moved to Facebook. Right. right. Bullying moves to wherever teens are going to bully um, right. or adults are going to bully. Um, whereas I feel like now Facebook and, and Google to some extent, like they offer this kind of new existential threat, you know, <laughs> yes. uh, that threatens to undermine our democracy. So <laughs> that's all. I, I do think that there's a part where in the middle of trying to define what these threats are, credible threats, um, there's a line about racism at a tech company and knowing that it's everywhere mm -hmm. in everything that you do, but you can't ever prove it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think like uh, this is exp an experience that like I have a lot of, you know, my friends of color have where like, especially in the workplace, like someone like says something or does something and you're just like, is that racist? And you kind of feel that it is, but you just can't prove it. And like, it's not even the thing that gets said that's the worst part. It just like, it makes you doubt yourself. Right. Um, and so, I don't know. I just feel like uh, repeatedly enduring like small forms of racism in the workplace, um, you know, like it adds up in a way and it just sort of, it just like makes you like feel like you're going like crazy. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know, like that's just something I, you know, like obviously have experienced. I haven't seen it. I hadn't seen it like written about a lot. Yeah. Um, cause we can only discuss racism when it's like overt and in broad strokes. Um, when a lot of, I think for, uh, you know, people of a certain kind of privilege, uh, experience racism in a way that is, uh, more, it's more of like in a daily accumulation of that thing. Yeah. I would say that's how I would describe sexism yeah. as well. Oppression has a same. way of, yes. yeah. I mean, yes. it's, 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 yeah, I think uh, obviously they're not the same or they manifest in different ways, but I think like the feeling of of, of just like doubting yourself yes. uh, is is powerful and, a, and hugely negative. Yeah. Without giving away too much, <laughs> tell me about... Are you a big spoiler person? I I am. Mm -hmm. I you can tell, right? I cuz I don't I've realized that because I read so much in galleys now that knowing nothing is the best way to go. Right? <laughs> and a little bit of the experience is ruined for me the more I know. I think like for TV and film like I'm like a little more cautious of spoilers. For some reason, in books, it doesn't really bother me. Maybe because I like plotless books. just Or just like hope that they read to the end. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, but Lucas's flaws in terms of um, how he acts around women. Is that a question? Or? Yeah. <laughs> tell, me, tell me about how you developed that. Yeah. Um, I think uh, it's interesting because Lucas feels powerless in the workplace. Um, and throughout the book, he actually becomes like 
more and more powerful. Um, and I think this is like the trajectory of a lot of, of young men. Um, and so it kind of like bubbles up to the point where um, like he's the boss of people. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's especially uh, at startups, especially when, you know, everyone at work is in their early 20s and drinking just like uh, it's easy for for young men, especially to not understand like the power they wield, um, especially when it comes to being around like other women. Mm-hmm. Um, so the transgressions that that Lucas makes in the book are not like super severe, but they're like definitely not okay. And I think, and he has that reckoning um, sort of at the end of the book. Um, but yeah, I think that's just, uh, it's a thing we have just only started talking about. Yeah. And I, I definitely think that the, the culture in startups is you're meant to do everything together. You're meant to drink together. You're yeah. meant to uh, stay up all night together working or whatnot. And um, yeah. Yeah. And also just like, uh, it's interesting too, because I think, again, sort of the way we, we talk about these things are when they're like really severe, you know, mm-hmm. um, I was yeah, thinking of course. Of, like uh, the Mike Isaac book about Uber, mm-hmm. super pumped, um, which is great. Um, obviously details a lot of like really inappropriate workplace behavior. Um, Susan Fowler has a memoir coming yeah. out also, but Uber, like, again, like she also experiences like some pretty egregious stuff. Uber is like on one extreme of of what a work environment can look like in a negative way, but I don't think we talk enough about like the smaller versions of that. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, like uh, that's it, the things that are hard to point to, the things that are hard to report to HR. Um, yeah, and those are the kind of things you can, I think, you can convincingly put in a novel in a way that yeah. you couldn't really do. Like you couldn't write, you know, you can do journalism around it, right? It just wouldn't be enough uh, of a story. Um, yeah, I think that's true. To switch gears a little bit, talk to me about how New Wave fits in with some of the best movies yeah. I've seen in a What while. is your favorite movie this year? It's either Parasite or Hustlers. Yeah, those are good calls. And and I feel like they have a lot of themes in common. Mm-hmm. And that is a theme that also runs through your book. <laughs> Um, yeah, I just, uh, I mean, class is obviously, um, so hot right now. Um, no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Class rage. It's all the I know. Well, rage. I feel like people talk, <laughs> uh, I feel like people talk about class as if it's like this new issue we're dealing with come election season. And it's like, I think for most people, it's Mostly. something they think about all the time. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to see, uh, a lot of art about class, like, really arrive at the same time, or at least resonate. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, it's it's interesting you mentioned Parasite and Hustlers because they're actually, you know, um, they're both great films. They're just, like, they could have so easily been great films that were overlooked, mm-hmm. you know? Um, like, for a lot of people, like, Parasite is the first Bong Joon-ho movie that right. anyone's ever seen, you know? Right. Um, and all his movies are, are about class. Right. Um, and um, Hustlers is basically, like, it's kind of like a good Scorsese movie, you know, um, <laughs> in that it's like, it's definitely about class, but it also, you know, it's it's about a crime, but also it kind of like moves in a way that's like structurally kind of like meandering, which I always like. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Except in, you know, uh, Hustlers is like a reasonable movie length, whereas, right. you know, like even Goodfellas is like 40 minutes too long. Yeah. The Irishman. <laughs> the Irishman, yeah. You know, the first nine hours were great. Yeah. So. And then I had to take a nap. Yeah. And then I finished the other 12. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I do think that 
the tech industry growing so fast and class rage mm -hmm. go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're just sort of seeing this thing where like, you know, the tech companies are just, they have so much money now, you know, and it's interesting because I used to work in tech. Um, and so that thing was kind of like normalized. Um, I was never like lucratively compensated in tech, I would say, because um, I was not an engineer, um, right. not unlike Lucas, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so some of that is, is real, that feeling of, um, you know, like you're close to the thing that is like, it's like the nuclear center and it's just like, it's steaming hot and it, it's, you know, it's where everyone wants to be and where everyone's making money and you're like kind of like <laughs> on the outside of that. Um, you can look at it and it's like very bright. You can um, eat at the cafeteria. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah, I, I remember eating at the Google cafeteria and going to the pasta bar and I, I think I gained 10 pounds within like a month. Um, it was not a great look. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, obviously, like tech has concentrated um, wealth uh, in a way that like has never been seen before. You mm -hmm. know, like um, the major tech companies, they just have more money than and than major companies have ever had before. Um, and like, what do you lose in that? It's like, well, you just divide uh, the classes uh, even further. further. Yeah. So um, there's just such a big gap between like middle class and upper middle class even now. Yes. So, um. Yeah, but at the same time, I, I, I did want to tell a story of, of people who are close to that thing and not quite part of that thing. You know, they're just they're close enough to touch it, but not um, to really yep. to really like take advantage of it. And, and um, you know, that tends to be like often like women and people of color, right? <laughs> yeah. Like they're close yeah. to it, and then but they're not really allowed in. So, hmm. love it. Um, <laughs> tell me, tell me about books. It's time for some book recommendations. Yeah. I mean, I feel like uh, like you get such good guests for this this podcast. Um, Thank you. So I don't want to like list all the books I've read of, of people you've had, but um, Topics of Topics of Conversation by Miranda Popke um, so great. was great. Um, yeah. Especially if you love like uh, a plotless novel. Um, I did see like on a on the books of the month page for for topics of conversation, there was like a warning that it's like this is a book of ideas, not of plot or something like that. And it was like a, a caution, uh, which I found very funny. And that's those are the books I love. So I will speak about this more off the air. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, uh, if especially like you know with our conversations about tech, um, Anna Weiner's uh, memoir Uncanny Valley is really yes. excellent. Um, what's funny is that. Anna actually worked at Oyster, uh, which is a startup I worked at, although we did not overlap. So um, we met after the fact. What does she call Oyster in the book, though? I don't actually think it has a name. It's only one chapter. It's the first place she worked. Got it. So um, it's but, not... But I did like the characters in it. Um, I think it's like the CEO, the CTO, and the CPO are just all like... I knew exactly who she was talking <laughs> about. And she like lovingly roasts them in that book. Um, and... Yeah, so that that book is excellent. Um, one book uh, that I loved that um, I had the real privilege of reading ahead of time. I believe it comes out in June or July. Uh, Memorial by Brian Washington. Ooh. Yeah, like what a brag! I know, right? Uh, <laughs> Brian's just like such a tremendous um, writer and human. Um, Lot is great. I actually think I kind of like the the novel more, um, but it's basically about um, this couple and uh, like. Um, one of the guys is from um, Japan, and then so his mom is coming to visit. Um, and then as soon as his mom comes to visit from Japan, 
um, he decides he has to go to Osaka to see his dying father. Um, and then so the other boyfriend is left with the mom. So it's ooh, kind of like, ooh. yeah, so it's kind of like these parallel, like a uh, fish out of water situations. Um, but the whole thing is like, it's really funny. It's really mean. It's like everything I wanted from a book. Good. Thank you so much. Yeah. This was a delight. This was so much fun. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review. And check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.